the kill, and Warner wins the set. Fade away by Moores. When you think about athletes who go to the next level, you know, going to the professional level, you know, South Dakota, we've had we've had players in the NFL and the NBA and Major League Baseball. We've had golfers in the PGA, but we've also had golfers from South Dakota in the LPGA. You got to go way back to the 50s where you had Marlene Hagee, in fact, one of the 13 founders of the LPGA. She was born in Eureka, South Dakota. Of course, right now, Kim Kaufman is doing very well on the tour, a young and up-and-coming star in the LPGA. But one of the trendsetters, our next guest here on In Play, I'm Craig Maddock, and she is Chris Cheddar from Sioux Falls, the, the Sioux Falls native, and 20-plus years on the LPGA and now on the Legends Tour, and so glad to have Chris joining us today. Chris, thanks for the time today. Well, thank thank you for inviting me. I'm here. Is it okay to call you a trendsetter? <laughs> well, you can you can uh, call me that. I don't know if it makes it true. <laughs> you know, growing up though here in you know growing up in Sioux Falls, uh, in the probably in the mid seventies, you're not in in high school yet. You know, what was sports like in, in the Cheddar household? Was golf uh, still uh, something on your mind at that time, or were there other sports that you were involved with early on before you even got to high school? Well, if you ask any one of my caddies, they will tell you how unathletic Chris Cheddar is. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is bad. They know not to throw me balls they know that um if i try to throw them one they're probably going to have to die for it <laughs> my sport my other sport my winter sport i guess um was ballet and if i could have done that i think i would have chosen that over golf because i as much as i love golf i loved dancing did that help you at all in in the sport of golf. It, def- it definitely did. I think the way that it helped me the most was dancers are very much looking inward all the time. You know, like you're in cl- you're in class with 30 other people, but you are only thinking about yourself. You're focused on what you're doing. There's every all this other stuff around, but you're looking in the mirror and trying to, you know, make corrections and just do your best and you're just very focused inward. Mm. And I think that in golf, I was always that way. You know, I didn't hear anything that was going on around me. Uh, nothing really bothered me. I just was very, you know, focused on, on what I was doing. And, and I think that I got that from dance. So when did you kind of give up the ballet and golf became the most important part of your life when it comes to athletics? You know, it was really in, in high school, uh, you know, probably my junior year. And I think I I can't remember if it was my sophomore junior year. I went to New York and tried out for the school of American ballet and, and I I, I didn't make it, but I had not been dancing all that long because I started a little bit late. And so I, I still felt like I had a lot of room for improvement. It, you know, I could maybe go home and work really hard and, and still would have a chance. 
my ballet teacher ultimately is the one who said, you know, I think you could do it, but you're not ever going to be the best. And apparently I really liked, you know, like being center stage. Wow. Um, and, and ultimately, though, she said ballet careers are short and you, your golf would you'd, you'd have a much longer career. I don't, and, think, I don't think they have a Legends Tour in the ballet uh, field, do they, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You know, it's funny. Every now and then I will still have a dance stream where I can I can dance again and I'm on point and I wake up and I'm like, oh, it's going to be a great day. <laughs> oh, that's great. So, But, you know, early 80s, you're in high school now at Washington and you're winning high school golf titles. Um what was going through your life at that time? You know, golf was pretty big for you. And, and was it pretty well, much 24-7 for you? Well, no, because growing up in South Dakota, um, you're not playing year-round. I would put my clubs away. You know, once school started, there was really, I had no tournaments. So if I didn't have a tournament, I, I wasn't as motivated. And I would just put my clubs away until ring and you know the the golf season started again and I just would pretty much devote my time to ballet and I was a basketball cheerleader and you know I just did other things and and I you know what I really appreciate that I look back on that and I love that I was able to have you know these other things that I loved so much uh and I think a lot of kids in in any sport don't have that anymore or as much in a way I feel like COVID was a little bit of a I don't know a wake-up call for just that slowing down in your life and not having you know so many parents with kids going you know however many kids you have that many different directions with practices and games and you know we never even had a weekend that was open Hmm. and so if there's a silver lining from COVID I would say it was just that slowing down and and just sort of enjoying kind of other things for for a time. What was going on in the uh, Cheddar sports family? I mean you were playing golf Uh, what, what was keeping the rest of the family busy at that time? Well Mike Mike was playing golf uh, we all played golf. <laughs> we we had a rule in our house uh, that was start on 17. If anyone started talking about their round, <laughs> because <laughs> you know that could take all of dinner. Um, and so that my mom would always be the one. She'd be like, start on 17. <laughs> so when when was it you really decided? Okay, I'm going to make this really important. This is something that I want to go after. Uh, yeah, I mean, I knew I would go to college and play there. And I sort of in the back of my mind knew that I wanted to play on tour. Um, never in my wildest dreams, even when I when I got my tour card the first year, did I think that I would do it for a long, you know, a long time. I, I thought I would do it for five years and then I would kind of start my real life and I I had no idea what my real life was going to be but I didn't think it was going to be golf. Somebody had to push you though right someone had to push you whether it was in high school or in college who were some of those coaches that pushed you to make you a better player? 
Well, I wouldn't say that anyone pushed me. I mean, it was, it was, my parents were great about, you know, never really pushing. It was always, it was always our choice, but I had a lot of people there to help me when I asked, um, you know, Perry Crouch was the pro at our club growing up. My dad, my brother, uh, my, my brother, Mike, Eric, you know, he just wasn't quite as into golf. Um, my mom was always like any, anywhere we needed to be, she would, she would get us there. Um, and then in high school, Jim Luce was my, my coach. And it's so funny because he was the football coach and he was such a, you know, gentle <laughs> golf coach. And I can't imagine, you know, he had to be different, I would think, for football. He never yelled at you <laughs> to give him 20 He never you didn't hit a good he shot. Never, no. <laughs> <laughs> never yelled at us when we when we made a mistake, you know. And, and oddly, when I went to college, I got a coach that did, and that was awful. I remember leaving our first tournament, from college and we had finished second and you know I I mean we all played pretty well and we finished second we got in the car and he's just mad and everyone's silent and I'm going like what's going on here and he turns around and he goes well do you guys like this feeling finishing second <laughs> and I'm sitting wow. there like uh oh, oh. <laughs> I guess yeah, not you... is the answer no <laughs> that was at TCU right that was at TCU. He he only ended up coaching that a semester, and he's he ended up leaving that semester. And uh, TCU was rebuilding the whole time I was there. I had oh. five college coaches. Oh, from the time you were in high school to you're in college, what part of the game of golf really improved and and made you really step up your game? You know, I don't think I really stepped up my game until I got on tour. That was when I got much more intense and like, I need, I, you know, I need to be a lot better. My first year on tour, you know, I played in just about every tournament and it didn't make nearly enough money. I think I finished like 145th on the money list, but I loved being out there. I loved the, the golf and you know, the courses are always in the best shape. I love playing around a round of golf where you've got to post a score and mm. yeah, everything counts. And, you know, that's, that's what playing tournaments is. And I was like, oh, I love it out here, but <laughs> man, do I have a lot of improving to do. It amazes me when it comes to the LPGA and the PGA that basically you are your own company and you determine and maybe there's some luck with it, on if you're going to get paid or not, how well you perform, you know, and all the expenses yeah. that you have. Uh, what was it like those first few years, knowing that, you know, you, you got you to gotta get a payday here sooner or later? Yeah, well, and this is where, you know, my I was so privileged that I had, you know, A, every opportunity growing up, you know, the best courses, the best teachers, my dad and mom made sure that, you know, if I needed it, I got it. Although it did take a while before I got my first set of clubs. Um, <laughs> I was getting hand-me-downs for a while. Wow. Um, when did you get your first set of, your own first set of clubs? My, my first set of clubs was when I was 14 and three of the heads of my irons 
flew off within probably like a week and a half and because they had rusted through <laughs> and my dad was like, oh, maybe we should get you a new set of clubs. <laughs> so fortunately, I chose Hogan. Like I, I, I chose what I wanted and I chose Hogan. And then I end up at TCU and a member at Shady Oaks where Ben Hogan is a member and I was playing the right club. Well, and you got a really nice relationship with Ben. And of course the book came out with it. And I'm going to talk about that in a second, but I want to first, we'll, we'll jump to 1992. Okay. You're on, you've been on tour for what, five years and you win, (laughs) you win the tournament, the Northgate. What yep. what was going on with your stroke, with your your shots on that special day when you won your first title? Well, it was a super windy, windy day. So it was when it's windy. If you're a good ball striker, if you can work the ball, that's a huge advantage. So that was that was good for me. And that week, my dad was caddying for me. And I putted, not great, but I didn't miss, I didn't, I didn't have any three putts, which is very rare for me to not have one three putt in a tournament. Uh, And I made all of my, you know, three, four, five footers. That was the difference. (laughs) I don't think I ever did that. I must not have ever done that again. And here I'm thinking with all the wind, I'm thinking, well, that's just South Dakota. You're used to the wind in playing in yeah, South Dakota. Yeah. Right. Well, and yeah, Texas, you know, you learn to play in the wind. You learn to work the ball so that you can use the wind to your advantage rather than having it, uh, you know, push you around. And the other thing was this, the golf course had five par threes and I birdied four of them the last day. And a couple of them were kick-ins, you know, like eight inches. You had that feeling, though, right? It was that just had a feeling you could you could almost do anything that day. Did you have that kind of feeling? Um, I don't know if I had that feeling. I felt I just felt good. I felt steady. I felt like you know, just play your you know, play your own game and and just stay in the moment. And and when I when I won. I felt like, okay, I mean, this is what I'm supposed to do. And if you had told me that day, you're never going to win another LPGA tournament, I would have said, no freaking way. <laughs> like, I, I felt like I was on my way. So when you think back to the, that tour, you know, the next four, five, six years, did you really start getting frustrated that you weren't winning a title once in a while? Uh. No, I mean, I, I mean, obviously, yes, but, but not, it wasn't something that I always thought about, you know, I mean, I, I just, I had a lot of good tournaments. I had a lot of chances and just for whatever reason, you know, things didn't, you know, I didn't win. Um, But that's the thing with golf. I mean, as much as you want to win and that's what you're striving to do, you know, a couple of second place finishes in, in a month or two, like you're having a good, that's good. So while I, you know, wanted to win, was trying to win. I was still having, you know, good tournaments where I had chances. And so, um, and it wasn't like, 
you know, oh, I was always playing bad on Sunday. You know, like it wasn't that, you know, sometimes it was I came from behind on Sunday or, you know, somebody else shot a really low round and, it, you know, just different, different things. It was never just one thing that I could go, this is what it is. And this is, this is what I need to do. Other than my putting was always inconsistent, mm. streaky. Mm. Um, if I could do anything, I would, you know, make myself a little better putter. Kim Kaufman from Clark Willow Lake. She's on tour right now. Uh, what, what kind of experience do you tell her about being on tour? Well, she's been out there. So, you know, she, she, she knows the drill, but, um, you know, just talk to her about the ups and downs of, of playing on tour when you, when you look back at your your year or your years, you, there's there's always these these you get on good streaks, you get on bad streaks, <laughs> and you know yeah, yeah. like here's every golfer thinks that they have they they have it and it's never going away. They also think at times that they've lost it and it's never coming back, and both statements are not true. <laughs> um, before we talk about Ben Hogan, I want to talk about, you know, we talked about the 92 win, but in 96, you finished second to Annika Sorumstan in the U.S. Open. What, what was going through you that in that tournament, knowing that you were that close of winning a major? Well, I really wasn't that close, actually. <laughs> um <laughs> Because she she was running away with it on Saturday, I think she was she was up by like six or seven shots going into Sunday, and so we all knew that unless she fell down and broke her leg, we were playing for second place. And she was Annika doesn't make many mistakes; she doesn't miss many fairways, so there's not a lot that can go wrong when she's playing. Let me just tell you one one this is one of my favorite stories about Annika. I was playing with her in Nashville, so we're sitting on a tee, just kind of waiting to go. And I I said to her, I go, you know, I like this golf course, and she goes, yeah, fairways are a little wide. A little and I just wide. I looked at her. I go, I go, Annika. Some of us like that. <laughs> I mean, who who who, know, who thinks the fairways are too wide? They're Annika. all not wide enough. All of them. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But um, so I, I I'm trying to remember. I think it was 1995. I was leading the Dinosaur going into the last like three holes, and I three putted 17. I missed a three footer. I felt like I hit a good stroke and it, you know, I either misread it or pulled it a little or whatever I said. Um, and I ended up um, losing to Betsy King. That was probably the, the tournament where I felt like I really let something get away with, with the U S open in 96. I was pretty proud of myself for finishing full second place because that was that was sort of the goal on Sunday, knowing who was in the lead by how much. <laughs> Let's go to Ben Hogan, one of the biggest, biggest names in all of golf. Um, and you uh, ran into him and a nice relationship between you and he eventually wrote a book. How did that how did that happen? And, and what did Ben mean to you? 
Well, I, first of all, I never, ever thought I would write a book. I'm not a writer. I had just no plans to whatsoever. If I did, I would have written a heck of a lot more down during those years because, you know, when you, when you, something happens every day, just about, you don't tend to remember as much. Um, and my dad would tell me, oh, you should be writing these things down. And I'm like, ah, I'll remember, <laughs> you know, where we, cow, he's only, he's right so much of the time. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, uh, my brother and I were going to school at TCU and TCU did not have a great place to practice for the golf team. And we would practice out at this park and we'd hit our balls and, you know, go pick them up and which was, which was fine, but you know, not a great practice facility. And my brother had found out that Shady Oak was doing junior memberships, um, for like $750 initiation fee. They were trying just to get some younger people into the club. So he'd been talking to my dad about that and comes up to me just out of the blue. And she's like, excuse me, do you have a gun? <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, uh, what? <laughs> and I said, no, what? And, and she, she goes, that man over there, there was a guy over in a truck She's like, he's been following me and I'm really scared and, you know, I just don't know what to do. And so, you know, me, South Dakota girl, I'm like, here, get in my car. I'll give you a ride wherever you need to go. I told my brother that story and he's just like, oh my God, you are an idiot. <laughs> Chris, did you ever think that maybe it was a setup? And I'm like, no, South Dakota. <laughs> um, but he says, but he says, but tell dad that story. And and when I told my dad that story, he was like, that's it. We're getting you those memberships at Shady Oak. <laughs> so we became members at Shady Oak. And they told us, we leave Mr. Hogan alone. You don't talk to him. If he wants to talk to you, he will. But you are not to seek him out. Hmm. And so I did that at first. But then I was, I it felt like I was saying hello to every other person that walked by and then I would see Mr. Hogan and I would act like I didn't see him. And mm -hmm. I thought, this is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. What am I doing? Mm -hmm. And so I finally just kind of was myself and, you know, said hello. He said hello. And that, you know, that was it. And then just through the time that I was there and he saw how much I loved golf and how hard I was working at it, he just sort of took an interest in me. He would start to, you know, stop and watch me hit a few and offer a bit of advice here and there. And, and again, like, I don't remember how long it took or, or how the relationship changed, but eventually he was coming out and he, when I was first there, he would just hit a few balls. Like he'd carry him in his pocket, walk around with one club, mm. hit a shot every now and then. but pretty soon he was putting his clubs on the cart and coming out and he'd stop. He'd watch me hit a few. Then he would go and, and hit. And it was on this little nine at, at Shady Oak where you could just hit your own balls and go pick them up. And, uh, and then it got to be where he would come to wherever I was. It, you know, he would tire fairly quickly. He might only hit a 
you know, a couple of times, like 25 balls a piece. And then he would just watch me and he would stay out there, you know, for maybe an hour, hour and a half. You had to have been nervous at that time. Well, at first I was, um, but I think I was never as nervous as most people just because I didn't truly understand the whole history. I mean, I just kind of, I knew he was a bit of a recluse, (laughs) but I just, I just didn't understand the whole mystique thing. And then I got pretty comfortable with him and, and we didn't, it wasn't always about golf. Like, you know, we'd be hitting and I'm a talker. And I think now this, I do think about often, like there's all these stories of, of people watching him hit and, and not never saying a word and him never saying anything to them. I mean, I was saying something to him after probably every shot, like there was no silence <laughs> when, when he was out there. And, and then my, when my little brother would come out, Eric, I mean, it was, I, we called it the sideshow and Mr. Hogan called it the sideshow too. He'd be like, is, is Eric coming out? I just wanted to know if we're going to have the sideshow today. <laughs> what was the sideshow? Isn't show? that funny? What was the sideshow? The sideshow side was just like the the up in conversation and joking and laughing when Which when was Eric totally was different there. than what we would think of Mr. Hogan. Exactly. Totally different. And I mean, it was it was it, it was a lot when it was just the two of us. But add Eric to the mix, and it took it to a whole new level. <laughs> what was the What was the biggest pointer Mr. Hogan gave you? Oh, there were so many, but I would say it was mostly about playing golf. You know, about managing your game and 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 hitting the right shot for the right occasion, and just you know, outworking them, outplaying them, outthinking them. That that was a very common theme you know, every day. Well, you also give back. You give back, Chris. Uh, you come to Sioux Falls a lot. Of course, uh, COVID put a little bit of a strain on that <laughs> recently. Yeah. But, you know, you give back, and that's why I think so many people here in South Dakota respect you because you could have easily left the state, not come back, not worry about us anymore, but you come back and you have kind of your own golf tournament here and raising money for kids uh, how is that going? Are you going to be able to have have another one here real soon and as soon as we get out of the COVID? Well, so I had, we did, we did um, the SCA Make-A-Wish for, I think we did it for like 12 or 13 years. And then I got involved with the, the Y and the middle school after school program. Um, but these, they, all of these things, you know, they, they just kind of ebb and flow and, People get a little tired of them, and so you try to spruce them up a little bit. Um, the last thing I did was a, a, I didn't do it in South Dakota. Maybe I should bring this to South Dakota. Um, we called it Weekend with the Warriors, and we brought in uh, veterans from all over the country. There's a group called the Salute Military Golf Association that I just really love and support. They 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 just basically their mission is to bring golf to, to veterans, get them clubs, get them started and get them playing. And uh, it was just, it was such a fun weekend. Raising money was part of it, but it was also experiencing just being with, with these guys and, 
you know, seeing what they have to go through and just being inspired by that. So it was the experience and, and the raising money for them. Chris, it would work in South Dakota because we love our servicemen and women. It would, uh, it would, yeah. it would be awesome. Uh, yeah, in South Dakota. I might just have to figure that out. Well, you're on the Legends Tour. Um, how how busy are you on the Legends Tour? And yeah, I mean, you're you're playing with Kathy Whitworth and, and and all these these great names, Patty Sheehan, and I mean, you go on and on, Nancy Lopez. I mean, these are the biggest names that a lot of us remember in in women's golf and the LPGA. How how busy are you with it? It's so great to be able to still compete. I mean. You know, I don't ever feel like I actually have my A game anymore, <laughs> but um, it is it is just so much fun to be out there and and still be able to, you know, play golf like I love to play it in a tournament. You got a couple of daughters, and they're at the age now, I think, where they they're what just at high school level or just out of high school i i'm trying to remember uh, i've got a sophomore and a senior Whew. do they love uh, golf and do they have any aspirations to do something about it they don't love it one single bit oh. if you if one of my daughters one of mine will will play she'll she'll hit balls and she'll you know she'll play if i if they come with me please <laughs> um the other one kira so that's laney Kira, my youngest, if you ask her if she likes golf, this will be her answer. She goes, no, <laughs> golf is not a sport. <laughs> Knowing what their there mother is... has done. That's an amazing answer. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. She, uh, she has no respect for, uh, <laughs> for golf or me. <laughs> no, maybe a little respect for me. <laughs> so how much longer do you think you want to play? On the you Legends know, tour. I would play as long as I'm able. I'm actually, I have a lot of trouble with my hands. I have terrible, terrible um, osteoarthritis in my hands, but it's super slow moving. And so it is really painful when a joint goes bad. It takes a while for it to go completely bad, but it gets swollen and sore and they're not good. I'm lo- I'm actually losing my grip on my right hand. I only mm. have the three fingers that you use, the the bottom three fingers. I only have my ring finger and and I'm losing that. So mm. I'm not sure what's going to happen, but you know I will I will go down fighting. I mean, I'll always be able to to play. I just, you know, I don't know how much longer I can really compete, though, because it's it's it is getting pretty bad. Lastly, Chris, if if we know the ballet thing didn't quite work out, you could have lived in New York for the last uh, thirty years, uh, being in ballet, and if if the golf thing had not worked out, um, what do you think Chris Cheddar would have been doing? Well, I think I would have been some kind of healer. And I'm actually doing that now. I, when COVID happened um, about two years ago, I did this brain balancing and I loved it. It was life changing and it helped my golf. I actually struggled with the yip for 20 years and I did this 
brain balancing, and it's different than most brain balancing. Most, most brain balancing that people have heard of is you're trying to control it. You see that something has been activated or your heart rate has gone up and you try to calm it down. This brain balancing is different in that they have figured out a way for you to actually, for your brain to be able to see itself. So they've applied a musical tone to the frequencies in, in the brain and you listen to it in real time and your brain actually recognizes itself and tries to balance. Does it make you it, perform better, uh, memory better? Well, uh, what, what, it, what's it the biggest help. plus? It, it helps stress, sleep, mood, uh, mental acuity, energy level. Basically, your brain tries to fix itself. Your brain tries to optimize. Once it sees, like, oh, I'm out of balance, it, it optimizes itself. I mean, I'd struggled with the yips for 20 years. And I had gotten into an LPGA event. This was in 2019. And I was a little bit afraid to play in it because my yips had, you know, with stress and everything, hmm. had gotten just so bad. Um, but I found out about this brain balancing and I did it and I went to that tournament and I didn't have the yips. So are you going to open up your own office and encourage I, so when people COVID, to come in? When, when COVID happened, I went through the education for it and have learned it all. And yes, I am going to open an office. I'm going to open one here in DC but I am very, very much interested in opening one in Sioux Falls as well. Do we call you Dr. Cheddar? <laughs> um, actually, I mean, it's not anything that I'm doing to the brain. So you don't have to call me Dr. Cheddar. It, it truly isn't, though. Like, I'm not doing anything to you. It's simply your brain seeing itself and optimizing. And I'm, can I just tell you the, it's called Cereset. Um, it's spelled C-E-R-E-S-E-T. It's a combination of cerebellum reset. Hmm. You could eventually down the road, you open up in Sioux Falls, who knows how many athletes may come see you. Yeah, it's, it's really for both. I mean, for me, you know, just life-wise, stress-wise, my kid, like, you know, everybody. There we're stressed to the max, and that definitely got better. Like I handle stress so much better. But the the golf, I'm telling you. In fact, in the tournament that I played in, it was an LPGA event. Course is longer, like you know, tough. Um, I didn't play well the first day, but my body wasn't feeling you know very good. But the second day. I went out, I felt better, and I ended up birding five holes in a row. <laughs> I mean, like, I hadn't played in a tournament without the yips for 20 years, and I did not have the yips. Last one. You're elected and selected to be in the South Dakota Sports Hall of Fame. What does that mean to you? Well, I, I, I mean, it's just, it was thrilling. I, again, I don't consider myself much of an athlete, so, like, to be in the, the, golf hall of fame you know i understood that i guess a little bit but to be in the sports hall of fame is 
um, pretty amazing. If you like what you're hearing, please give us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us gain new listeners. This has been In Play with me, Craig Maddock. This is a production of South Dakota Public Broadcasting.